0: Welcome to the Dauntless Grace Exchange. I'm Megan.
1: And I'm Deidre. And we are breaking our hiatus from our crazy summer schedules to be back with you live. Well, not live. It's recorded. But, you know, in person (laughs) this week. Okay. Also not in person. Should we start over?
0: (laughs) No, I like this. I think this is exactly how you come back from a hiatus. It's kind of loopy and a little frazzled. And like, we finally have our kids off to school and you've got your college students off to college. So your your house is like super empty.
1: I am loving it. But also if my kids are listening, which we both know they're not, I miss you. I love you deeply. (laughs) Care so much for you. But it's been a busy household this summer and I'm really thankful that there's only two left here and they're quieter.
0: (laughs) Well, I still have two at home, but I only ever have two. So it's definitely not any quieter.
1: (laughs) It's about the same. It's amazing. Even one child can make a lot of noise, but... It does
0: help. But since the last time we recorded an episode, we've both been to how many different states since then? Like yeah, quite three, a few. Three, four, five, I don't even know. Um, I quit my job and started a new one. You sent three kids back to college. We all got our younger kids back to school.
1: They, we, we got a boat boating day in with both of our families. My family did a quick vacation. I went out of town for work twice or three times in that window. So this is why we took a hiatus. We were not just off eating bonbons, but we are back. We actually are lining up some speakers for this fall that we're excited about. And if you haven't listened in a while, of course, you know that we're always talking about a retreat that's coming up in Colorado in November. Super excited about that and making plans still for that. Um, And we thought, what better way? to bring back Dauntless Grace than to talk about the subject of shame because that gets everyone excited.
0: (laughs) But shame, like totally relatable, right? And in fact, shame, I'm assuming, is probably one of those reasons, even if people don't know it, that would keep them from coming to a retreat like this.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Let's unpack that a little bit.
0: I just, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of reasons why someone couldn't go to a retreat like this. Schedule money, travel COVID. I, like, I understand those reasons, Sure. but I think that there are always some like fears and insecurities that if we really got to the root of those that help people back from not even just our Colorado retreat, but any kind of intimate gathering with other people, I'm guessing that at the root of that is this, this shame, this fear of being exposed this fear of people seeing what's wrong with me, whatever that looks like.
1: Well, it's interesting too, as we're talking about back to school stuff, um, think about how many fears all of our kids have going back to school, whether it's the uncertainty of the COVID issue, mask, no mask, whether it's new class, new teacher, new friends, I don't know how to engage, maybe new extracurriculars. Um, I know our da- one of our daughters that was going back to college, just as, well, first time at college, just sleeping in a dorm room with a complete stranger that she just met, like just terrifying. getting terrifying. And just getting through that first night of walking into the big gymnasium that's set up with a hundred tables or 200 or whatever. And she's got to figure out who she's going to go sit and eat with. Like this moment defines the rest of the school year, not to mention... How how just completely terrifying to not even know who will accept you and you know where you belong. Um, one of my other nieces was talking about going to a new church's like young adult group, and you just walk in and there's 200 people sitting in the room, and where do you sit? And who is welcoming you? And Do, and she's like, I just didn't go back. And it wasn't even because anyone, anything was wrong or anyone was rude, but she's like, it just took a lot to step into that room. And so anything that exposes us leaves us feeling vulnerable. And it is scary. And we don't just grow out of that because we graduate high school or college. Like we all carry a lot of that into these adult spaces. And I think that's why, like for me, I've never been super drawn to women's ministry events because they feel a little bit like stepping back into high school like yeah. what group do I belong with and who are these people and why are, are they those calling? the cool kids
0: are they gonna let me sit with them or <laughs> and let's
1: just be honest if there is any crafting involved I immediately oh. am on the outside of that in group
0: you've <laughs> already alienated half of our potential audience by talking in like four episodes about how we don't craft
1: <laughs> I, I don't just like it in the sense that I appreciate the art that other people can you know rot. (laughs) I don't know if that's the right word, but you know, like I appreciate how people can be artistic or even just be good at gluing things with their fingers. Like I can't even do that without my fingers sticking together. Like me and super glue, hot mess. That is a major problem. I have lost some of my fingerprints because of that. I don't understand it, you know, but um, (laughs) there's just a lot of reasons why I should not be picking up things that could do damage you know, to my skin or fabric or anything around me.
0: I don't love crafting, but I also just don't love forced group activities. Maybe okay. that's four in me. And I know you're about to say that, but mm-hmm. anytime where they're like, everyone do this and we're going to play this game. Like I want to hide, like, I don't want to do a forced group activity. Mostly I think it's a fear, right? Like what if I do it wrong or everybody else knows how to play and I don't, or they all know how to do this and I don't or whatever it is. So I guess what we can tell you guys is I will do my best to make sure there are no forced group like games. I cannot guarantee that Deidre won't have conversation starters for people sitting around places, but.
1: Well, I think we all in somewhere or another in our lives have to lean into discomfort for growth. Right. And so discomfort looks different for all of us. Um, Actually, my two girls that are going to college right now, one of them could have no activities planned and she would know 100 people by the end of the first weekend, right? The other one is terrified that there are group activities planned. However, the... People at college know that she is the one who will sit in a room all weekend and not go meet anyone. So they are forcing her into the discomfort of that unknown. And by the within 15 minutes of the first forced activity that she was determined to not go to but had to, she made a new friend and her anxiety already lessened. So there is something, there is something about kind of being forced into an uncomfortable position in order to grow. But let's talk a little bit about that because I think because we've had bad experiences in our past that shame is attached to with that is why we're so afraid to be vulnerable again. And again, we're kind of, you know, I just brought this up back to school stuff. I I think we can all look a little bit deeper than like, which group do we sit at lunch with on the first day of school. But, um, so many times in our life where we've risked something and we endured shame instead of the reward, um, is what's informing how much we're willing to risk today. And so I think that's maybe the way that we can talk about this a little bit that we can all relate to because everyone risks something at some point in their life. We risk being the first one to say, I love you. We risk being the first one to stand up the, the first one to get in line. The first one, to um, say, hello, my name is, you know, and do the introduction, we risk um, doing something in PE class that we fail at in front of the whole room, right? Like I've been there a couple of times. But You know, a good coach, a good instructor, a good teacher is going to encourage risk with failure because they understand that it's only that process that gets you to understanding or learning or, you know, some kind of breakthrough on the other side. So good teachers, good coaches don't shame you and don't embarrass you. And they try to create a culture where the other students in the room or the other athletes are um, cheering on people who fail because they understand that that's going to grow them. But we haven't all had that great of a teacher and great of a coach in every situation in our life.
0: So it's interesting that you're saying that like they can kind of push people beyond their comfort zone without shaming them. Okay. So I just recently heard a sermon. I wanted to talk with you about this anyway. So we'll just do it on the air. Um, So they were saying that there are like, there's good shame. And then there's the toxic shame that like steals at your identity And like if, if shame were on a continuum from like discomfort, shyness, all the way up to this mortification, humiliation, toxic identity, stealing shame, then having no shame whatsoever basically makes us sociopaths. So it's good to have some of that good shame. And I know that you've done a lot of shame research because you've done, like you studied Brene Brown and listened to her a lot. And I'm wondering if you would agree with that, or if you would actually say, no, it's not shame. Then it's that forced discomfort. It's. Like unpack that yes. for me. What would you say in response?
1: Yeah. Well, um, one of the books that I read when I was getting ready for our first Dauntless Race conference was by Dr. Kurt Thompson, and he talks about the way that shame brings disintegration. And mm. so if the reason so I would say, based on that, the way he uses that term is if shame um is the result of risk and it causes disintegration instead of more wholeness, then it's probably not doing a good thing. <laughs> um, so it may be how we use that word. I think that shame is attached to us as human beings because we are born into a broken world and, um, and we do fear being exposed because that type of vulnerability, um, it requires us showing the worst parts of ourselves. you know, um, So one of the things I've learned with, um, dealing with people with trauma, whether that's, um, my own children who've had, you know, some other history before they came into my home or adoption or foster or whatever, um, When you have a really secure place, like a really secure net underneath you, so children who grow up in a home that is safe, secure, they know they're loved, they know where food is coming from, they know that they're safe, Um, there's like this really strong net to catch them if they fall and they're more willing to risk things then, they're more willing to be curious because they understand that failure isn't necessarily about them as an identity, you know? So like jump on the trampoline, it's okay if you fall, you know, there's a net around it. So you're only going to maybe get a bumper bruise or whatever versus jump on the trampoline, a hole comes through the middle and you go all the way down and you break a bone. So the way that children um, kind of process that is like in life, if, if, If I don't know where my next meal is coming from, there's an insecurity right there that causes fear. If I don't know that mom and dad are coming home at the end of the night, that's a big problem. You know, I'm much less willing to risk and be be curious to learn. Um, So, yeah, I mean, there's embarrassment that comes with any type of failure or looking exposed. But I'm not sure that I would put the word shame with that because I think shame comes more as a result of um, not understanding how to... Um, to grow, not understanding that you make mistakes and fumbles along the way, which right. is a really different than feeling exposed and being humiliated for it. Um, so I don't know if I totally agree with that. I mean, I'm not just disagreeing with the premise that he's trying to paint, but
0: right. I, and I, and I think it's more about the semantics of it. And I think that's why like he attached the word toxic to that shame. Like, so he was saying, whereas you would probably say, well, I'm just going to call that whole side shame and this whole side discomfort or embarrassment or something. Um, so it's probably more semantics than anything else, but I really was listening to it thinking, I think shame is always more about our identity and embarrassment is about something we've done or guilt is about a mistake we've made, but shame always attaches to that core of something's wrong with me. Right. Yes.
1: And that's where I'm saying, I think, A healthy household with parents who kind of understand this process. They create an environment where kids can make mistakes and understand that, you know, you fell off your bike, get back up. We're going to do this again because now you know what not to do. Or now you felt how that feels when you didn't have the balance. You know, that's, that's part of the learning cycle is to fail. Right. But that's not like you idiot. You can't figure this out. Anybody can ride a bike. Right. And yeah. so whether that's a parent, a teacher, an older sibling, uh, like I said, a coach, you know, we can, you can go through the same thing and either have shame attached or maybe some embarrassment or discomfort. Um, and I do think a lot of that comes from the fact too, like where your starting point is. Um, if your starting point is I'm coming from a really secure space at home and maybe this one teacher out of the 20 I've had is just really toxic. You can kind of see that for what it is and you don't own it so much. But when it's it's kind of all around you and you're swimming in it all of the time or just the uncertainty of something, then you definitely bring that into other situations that actually aren't shameful, but you don't know how to separate yourselves now from the action versus you and the being of who you are. But certainly shame has a affected every one of us, despite how secure our beginnings were.
0: So I also wanted to talk, I bring the Enneagram into this a little bit, because like, we know that the nine numbers are broken into three different triads. And one of the triads is actually called the shame triad. So twos, threes, and fours. But we also know that all nine numbers deal with shame.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So like, why do twos, threes, and fours, how do they deal with that in a different way than the other six numbers that they would actually be called the shame triad. What do you think?
1: Hey, Enneagram coach, Megan, I have this question <laughs> for you. Um, I've noticed that there's these three numbers that deal with shame. More. Doing? <laughs> well, well, I mean, I have more about the reaction though, because like for uh, me, I'm in the gut anger triad. So what shame looks like to me is I've been exposed and I'm angry about that. Like my reaction is different. It's a gut instinct to like want to like go into overtime to prove that I'm not what you just saw about me, you know? So like for nines, ones, and eights were, gosh, I really did those out of order. Eight, nines, and ones were in that gut anger triad. And so rather than being overwhelmed by the feeling of shame and kind of being crippled by that, we, we, it like kicks us into doing, you know, so I will do something to counteract the fact that you saw me. As this, And so for a one, I'm going to look more perfect. I'm going to be better at it next time. For an eight, it's like, I'm going to make sure that I'm never vulnerable again to expose that. Or for a nine, I'm just going to withdraw from doing so that you can't judge what I'm doing.
0: So would you say that shame is kind of the root at that of that anger still, even if it's completely subconscious?
1: Maybe. I don't know if an Enneagram teacher would use that same language. I think with everything, like when I hear Brene Brown, she's always like, let's define the term that we're using because... Right we use a word like love. We use a word like shame or connection or vulnerability. And everybody has their own, um, definition of that. And so, you know, like for her, it always comes back to the research. So for her, I think the way she would use that is, um, the exposure and vulnerability component of that. So well, if I- I've shown you who I am and that's not okay, then I won't risk that again.
0: But also that disintegration part that you were talking about, if everyone, if all nine numbers have a brokenness, a disintegration at their root, Mm -hmm. it makes sense that that would be what everything stems from anyway. So I wonder if by saying maybe shame is at the root of anger for eights, nines, and ones, and maybe it's at the root of that fear for five, six, and sevens, maybe the word shame for twos, threes, and fours is a little bit of a misnomer. Maybe it's more like rejection or... What, I mean, you know, what is that? I I think maybe
1: they just own the uh, feeling of shame in the sense that we would use it in the English context versus that more clinical way that she's described it or yeah. even Kurt Thompson has. Um, so yeah, they're going to... The- Rename that triad. I think, like they they identify with the way that the general public would use the word shame, like because it kind of cloaks them and it comes over them as a feeling. Yeah. Um, where the others are either going to engage with it from that doing or that thinking, you know. Um, So it could be more about the way that the the verb of it is de- defined. Yeah, um, I feel like this just got really boring for our listeners, but <laughs> it's interesting to think about because we all experience shame, but you might say that to an eight, and they're like, "Yeah, no, I don't." Well, yeah, you do. Somewhere along the line, you, you were vulnerable and that didn't go well for you. So you decided not to let anybody see that side of you again, right? right. Um, at least in an unhealthy space, I'm sure everyone couldn't grow as they learn more about who they are and then risk more vulnerability. Um, if from the very beginning moments, so this is a little bit more about this disintegration, uh, a child is learning that this causes this reaction from my caregiver and this causes this that's a shame-based thing. Like, oh, I don't, they didn't respond to that or they did. And it wasn't kind or it wasn't loving, you know, that is a shame thing. And it starts to disintegrate even the pathways of the way that the brain is synapse. I'm um, sorry, the firing, you know, the synapsing. Yeah. Well, I'm not using, I don't think I can use synapsing as a verb like that,
0: but the synapses are firing.
1: Yes. When okay. the synapses are firing, um, it's, it's giving us signals and we don't have language to put to that at that as an infant, but it's giving our brain signals. What is, is shameful. And so it, our brain starts to rewire, like that wasn't good or or I cried and no one responded. That's a, that's a form of shame, you know. And so the fact that our brain is even wired by it before we have any language to put to it is why I think it's hard to be like, oh, these three experience shame, these three, and these three don't. Well, right. maybe as the verb of shame as an emotion, gotcha. they experience more often. But I think the disintegration of just. Risking vulnerability in any way and not having true connection be the reward for that risk is what breaks down things, whether that's in our brain or in our relationships or in our own, like, just process of, of feeling and thinking and doing. I don't know if that made a lot of sense, but
0: it did. Well, I mean, it did to me, a bit, but we've also talked about this a lot. So I guess we can have people like comment on the podcast and tell us if that made sense to them. But yeah, I um, oh, just had a thought, though. Okay, so as a four, the feeling of shame is one that I deal with just all the time. Right. And and it was so it wasn't just about it was I could do something that made me look foolish or do something that maybe no one else thought was even a thing. And I was like, oh, I'm I'm so awkward. But it always came back to me feeling ashamed of who I was then, not about the thing that I did. I've just noticed in the last few months where God has just done such a sweet work in me that the things I do. Even if I screw up, they're not causing me shame anymore
1: Mm, in a different way
0: where I've still felt shame in the last few months, but it's always been because of something directly about my identity rather than something that I just did or screwed up or was stupid or something like that. Like, um, anyway, there's, I don't have anywhere to go with that. I just wanted to point that out that like God can bring such a healing work when we are aware of those places.
1: I love that. I mean, I love that testimony so much because it's so powerful. Um, actually, today, one of my daughters was kind of stressing about the fact that yeah, I don't think my brother listens to this, but he, we had a family like lunch and he cut a, just a spoonful of brownie right out of the center. Like he didn't even cut it with a knife <laughs> to make a square. It was just a big old spoonful of brownie right out of the center of this like sheet pan size, you know? And my daughter was like, huh, why would you do that? Like, it's somebody come fix this. Like just cut the edges straight like this. Uh. And she, I said, well, honey, there's just some things you can't control. And she's like, who are you? <laughs> I said, well, I spent 40 years trying to control everything and I've just decided that my blood pressure and everything else about me is a lot better when I don't have to control it. Like, it's okay. Stick your spoon in the middle of the brownies. It's great. Um, she just thought that was so funny though. Cause like, I don't know who you are. You're not the mother that raised me that that doesn't bother you. Like it bothers me. I mean, it
0: bothered you a little bit, right?
1: I thought it was funny, but also <laughs> I'm a little weird about desserts. I actually have cut the center out of a gooey butter cake a time or two. If oh. you
0: recall <laughs> Every time I've made you one for your birthday, you cut the centerpiece first. (laughs)
1: Because it's the best piece. Although I do cut it with like a knife and take it out with a fork. I didn't just like use a spoon and go in. But maybe I would have if I had just been home with it for myself. (laughs) I have more tolerance for messiness when it comes to dessert and sugar is all I'm saying. But I still think it was a good moment to reflect and go, yeah, you're right. I didn't react viscerally to that in the same way I would have a few years ago.
0: So you were noticing how you've been relinquishing the need to control
1: Yes. I think that's evidenced by the fact that I only vacuum about once a week now. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but I would do it like daily or every other day when I could see all all the things on my floor in the past.
0: Doesn't your need to control everything ultimately stem from a fear of being exposed and that shame being seen?
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm saying kind of the same thing. It looks different for a one than it does a four, but the shame of if someone sees that I'm not perfect, they're going to ultimately see Everything that's disgusting and wrong with me. It's not about the floors. It's not right. about the straight cut brownie. It's not about, you know, the way the house is decorated or the way the kids are behaving. It's all about if they stop for a minute to look closely enough at something that's wrong, they're going to see everything that's yeah. wrong. And that is terrifying because at the core of who I thought I was, it was just disgusting. It was used and discarded and gross. And so it's never really about the thing that it's about. So me was. I didn't experience the, the emotion of shame. Uh, if anything, I felt the emotion of anger or resentment because my controls weren't working or whatever. But all of that was rooted out of shame. The shame of one time I let somebody see this and they thought it was gross. And rejected me because of it or whatever. So I think it still keeps coming back to this risk. And um, we just want to say to you guys: like, if, if you come to our retreat, we're not saying it's all gonna be comfortable, like you have to lean into the discomfort, but our goal is not to expose, it's not exposure, it's not um ridicule, it's not shame, it's it's about saying that there's power. There's something powerfully transformative about getting in a space where you can risk and feel connection as the reward of the risk. That's what we need. We're We're all risking all the time. The problem is when we risk and the reward is not connection, it's disconnection because of embarrassment or shame or failure or whatever. But you know, I've seen uh, as I taught dance. You know, I, I'm more in that world than the coaching, like athletic side. But you try that leap, and you you don't make it very high. But you felt the right way to flick your foot off. We celebrate that, you know, or you remembered to split the legs at the same time instead of like galloping. Okay, we're going to reward that again. It's not going to look like what it's going to look like two years down the road as you've been practicing that. But we're going to find the thing to celebrate because growth is a process and it's a journey. And, um, I think oftentimes we just have lived in a society that is like, it's just failure. So I have a little soapbox about that because, um, I've, I've had a lot of kids who have participated in sports over the years. And I know there's this whole, everybody gets a trophy is just so dumb philosophy. Like, you you know, you work and you win and that's what life's about. And I want to be like, is, you know, I, I know that there is a point when we get older, maybe high, junior high, high school, whatever, we get into more like competitive sports, that it is about the win, win and loss. Because by that point, if you've taught them right, they understand that that doesn't define who they are. Right? right. But when they are younger, isn't it about the journey? Isn't it about the learning? Isn't it about the time on the field to learn and to fail and to get back up again? Isn't it about celebrating that your team worked together well, even if they didn't win? Like, there's so many good things to celebrate about just showing up that day. And, and I I don't think I think we just live in a, a culture that things when you win at all costs. And I do not parent that way. <laughs> and I and I have fairly resilient children, even so, you know, because I think there's something to be celebrated about showing up. So recently someone, I don't remember who it was, but if you do, don't say who it was, because I think <laughs> it's not someone I would want to promote. But they were saying um sometimes uh doing the hard thing you want to do and doing it is bravery. But sometimes saying, I don't want to do that thing and not doing it is bravery too. And so I think no matter what it is, bravery is about taking a risk that exposes you to vulnerability. And so we all have a commitment to one another in our spaces for Dallas Grace to reward that risk with a connection that's meaningful.
0: That's funny because I actually saw that Instagram post last night talking about that very thing. It was like the thing I woke up thinking about Because I have a daughter who's more than likely an Enneagram six, who's afraid of the risk, right? I think sixes are just going to naturally feel a little bit more afraid of the risk than maybe some other numbers. And Mm -hmm. uh, there have been so many times where I've just pushed her like, no, you you won't regret it. You won't regret it. But what if for her, sometimes the bravery is not doing everything, something that everybody else is doing. I don't know. I don't know when the right time to push and not push, but that is funny because that's what I woke up thinking about today.
1: And I it, because it's relational, I don't know that there's a manual that says when it's this situation, make them, when it's this situation, don't. But I think it's always about um if the risk is about being vulnerable, yeah, then we reward that with connection. So if if it's everybody else is going, but I don't feel comfortable with that, well, good for you. You, you stood up for what you believed in, you know? Yeah. But if it's, I might look like a fool if I do it, then say, you know, then maybe in that regard, you're like, but then if you do look like a fool, we're going to celebrate that you showed up anyway. I mean, there's so many ways that we can still reward each other for risking. Um, And I'm not a risk taker by nature because I wanted to make sure I was going to do it right before I engaged. So I would say on my life list of uh, things that I will always regret, it is the Six different instruments I took lessons on and didn't conquer any of them. And it was because anytime it came time to show someone what I was doing, I knew I didn't sound good yet. Not too late. I know you keep saying that, but I'm just saying. You're going
0: to jump out of a plane.
1: Yeah, I don't care about that kind of risk. But it was also my second big thing, which you know is speaking Spanish because I took two years of it. I've been on several missions trips where I understand enough of it to get around, especially if I can read it versus hearing it. But um, but anytime I have to speak it out, I feel like such a fool because I know I'm not doing it well. But I, I just didn't have a space to practice that, that didn't felt, feel judged. And so uh, I gave up on it. Um, so I think those are just two examples in my life of things that I know for sure I could have been so much better at them if I had let myself look like a fool, looked like I didn't have it all together, looked like I wasn't perfect at it, because that was part of the process of learning it. But I cut it short. What's
0: well, on your What's on your list of things that you? Oh hearing? man, I was going to segue to an ending here. And oh, okay, no, do that, do that. You don't have to. Going me into a bucket list. I don't know. I'm a lot younger than you, so I still have time to like cross things off. Oh wow. <laughs> anyway, are well, older than you think. <laughs> <laughs> Here's my segue into the closing. Here, I guess for anyone listening, if you are looking at this retreat and, and pondering it, but afraid of what that risk might be for you, maybe it's actually a financial risk or, um, risking showing up and feeling like a fool or risking being at a place where you don't know very many people, whatever that is, or maybe you're a little bit afraid of travel. I know people like that's a risk for them too. Whatever that yeah. risk might be. I think take that to the Lord and see if that's a risk. He wants you. Um, he wants to reward you with some connection that weekend. Maybe that's one where he's saying show up show up for this because I've never ever been in the presence of God where there hasn't been the reward of connection. And I've never been to a retreat that we put on where there hasn't been God showing up with his presence. So I just, it, it sounds like a risk, but I think I know the reward of connection will be at the end of that.
1: Amen. That's good. We'll see you in Colorado ladies. And that wraps up another episode of the Dauntless Grace Exchange. You can follow us on social media to stay connected. We're on Instagram at Dauntless Grace Ministries, and our Facebook page is Dauntless Grace. And you can join the conversation in our Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward
0: slash team DGM. For more about the Enneagram, visit our website at DauntlessGrace.org for information and pricing about individual coaching sessions, and we even offer virtual and in-person staff training opportunities for your organization. You can also follow me on Instagram at EnneagramMegan. And be sure to check out our website for more information about today's podcast at dauntlessgrace.org. And
1: while you're there, check out our retreat for this November 2021 in Colorado. We have registration live, and we would love to see you there.